Welcome to Hey Hey Agave. I'm Sabrina, and today on the show, we have Rio Chenery, the producer and owner of Estancia Raicia. Joining him is Tiffany Collings, Estancia's NYC brand ambassador, who was really instrumental in bringing us all together for this conversation. Raicia is a lesser known agave distillate that for all intents and purposes is a mezcal. If you remember Tessro's Lampert mentioning that there is a council for Raicia, well, that council is currently in discussions with the Mexican government to establish its own DO for Raicia. Rio gives us his opinion about this and his hopes to build a strong nom uh, for the denomination of origin. His taverna or distillery is located in San Sebastian del Oeste in Jalisco, which, as you know, is home to tequila. We discuss the production process in great detail, as well as the single type of agave used to make his raicilla, the lechuguilla, or little lettuce, which is from the species Inakirens and the species Maximiliana. This is another agave that predominantly propagates from seed, similar to the saniso in Durango. We covered so much in this podcast that you will definitely come away with a full understanding of Ricea, and hopefully, if you haven't tried it, uh, an interest to do so. I hope you enjoy it, and I would humbly ask if you could please leave a review on iTunes. It really helps us. Thanks so much for listening, everyone, and here is our conversation with Rio and Tiffany. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Hey, Hey, Agave. Today, we are joined by Rio Chenery. Hi, Rio. How you going, guys? And uh, Tiffany Collings. Hi. Hello. How's it going, everybody? Going good. Awesome. <laughs> and um, Rio is the founder and the owner of Estancia Raicia. So we're going to be having a wonderful conversation today, talking um, about the production, the brand, and we're just going to get into it. Very good. And I'd just like to open it up, Rio. Hi. Hey. Um, can you just give us a little background about uh, how you got involved with Ricea, maybe where you grew up, mm-hmm. what you studied? So um, my background's um, a little bit mixed. My um, my background is from, I'm from Australia, so I might pick up my accent. Um <laughs> And my mum is from Mexico, so we we would travel a lot to Mexico when I was um, growing up, I guess. And um, and yeah, and Ricea was something that my family uh, really really love. Um, and my um, my grandfather, he worked for the the Cuauhtémoc, um, Montezuma Cuauhtémoc Brewery. Um, so he would travel a lot with um, with his work. I think he worked on the Superior um, beer. And one of his trips was into Jalisco and, um, and he ended up trying a Ricea and loved it and was, it just had, you know, he brought it back to uh, Mexico city and, um, and my, my auntie then moved to the coast, uh, you know, Jalisco and she also was a bit of a fan of Ricea. So when I'd visit her when I was a young teenager, we would get the, the Coca-Cola bottles full of Ricea and, and get drunk on the beach and those sorts of things, you know. How old were you? You know, like <laughs> 14, 15. <laughs> 14, 15, when you, you know, do those sorts of naughty things. Um, and so it was just, but it was, a, it was a very interesting spirit that no one knew about. It was this, this sort of like, no one would, and then my friends would come and visit and I would, you know, introduce them to Rice here and they'd be, oh my God, this is amazing. So it was one of those things that was like, I wish, I wish more people knew about this, this beautiful thing. And um, that was kind of the start of the idea of doing something with Rice here. Was it ever equate to mezcal? When you were little, like I didn't it, have. Would somebody would make? Oh, this is mezcal or rice. Like there was no. no well, not it was just a liquor. Well, for 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 us, to be honest, um, 
uh, tequila was more my family, you know, we would have tequila and then would have this other sort of ricea spirit, but the mezcal connection wasn't really made. Like I think back then, like that, that whole understanding of the, the connection between all of the agave spirits and stuff was, wasn't something that we, I even thought about. It wasn't, it was more of just these really interesting, it was more of a connection to a tequila. I was like, this is like this weird tequila more than mezcal because yeah I, that was that's how people would describe it that's how i would describe it okay because mezcal wasn't something that really i started i think the first time i had a mezcal was i think in my 20s maybe 21 22 so i wasn't really it was more tequila and then this ricea spirit so you um, would you would spend your time i mean you you were raised in australia uh-huh. but you would come back to mexico like every year yeah not every year so my first trip was when i was six months old and we 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 were there for a year and a half and then i came back when i was five eight uh i think we went to i went to school in puerto vallarta when i was um eight for a year with my mum moved back um so i spent a lot of time in the caribbean and then my um and then i moved and then i came back here and did some work when i was 20 i think i was mentioning to you guys before working in a cenote near tulum mm-hmm. so just little little times but over the course of my life maybe 10 or so times um going back and forth and then and then once i moved um here to new york it was more more frequent because we're so much closer of course and yeah yeah, you can get some really great deals on flights yeah exactly yeah yeah. Yeah. (laughs) where do you live now i'm in um well i'm i'm living in sayulita in in nayarit which is close to uh to where we produce in jalisco and i'm also just I just started um, uh, renting a place in the mountains near where, where the distillery is so I can spend more time up there, which is in uh, San Sebastian del Oeste. It's beautiful. It's really beautiful there, yeah. Did you enjoy I, it? I, I oh. concur. <laughs> <laughs> I know, you know, geography is a little complicated. Will you just like super quick give us uh, an understanding of where is this? Where where is where is San Sebastian del Oeste? Yeah. Um, so if you if you if you know where Puerto Vallarta is, Puerto Vallarta is on the on the coast of Jalisco. Um, it's a three and a half hour drive from from the the city of Guadalajara. Um, it's a bit of a tourist town. So if you go into to Puerto Vallarta and then you drive, or if if you're in Puerto Vallarta, you see the the backdrop of the Sierra Madre and and the massive mountain ranges there. And if you just drive directly behind. The city of Puerto Vallarta, you'll get to San Sebastian in about forty-five minutes. Into the mountain. Yeah. So yeah. back, back, yeah, back from the ocean, away from the ocean for forty-five minutes. I have done the, the traveling from Mexico City to Querétaro, Querétaro, Guadalajara, Guadalajara, Puerto Vallarta, uh-huh. and it is fascinating how like you're just going up, like it never stops, and then suddenly you pass the mountains, and then the drop to the ocean. Is like in manner of yes. like a half an hour. You're like book down ocean. Exactly, and it's very interesting um, uh, that the 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 the, uh, the change in the altitude and the the distance from the coast um, creates a really interesting um, bio and biology. Is that the right word? There's but there's like botanical. There's plants and stuff that only grow in this weird little area that's just. Um, in between San Sebastian del Oeste and Puerto Vallarta, I think because of what you're saying, the, the drop is so... Yeah, they're, they're micro-ecosystems. Mi- exactly, yes. micro-ecosystems, exactly what it is. Yeah, I wish I knew those. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's a, it, we just learn about this too. Is, is, and the more we talk about mezcal and the more we talk about the spirits, because the agave plant itself is and, and the multiple, multiple varieties, they, they, they adjust to pretty much everything. Uh-huh. Unless it's frozen yeah they can they can resist right. yeah. drought and they all adapt. kinds of things they Absolutely. Adapt. so you you're saying something that is super cool that is 
in those microclimates that you see and the one that you belong as doing the rhizidia is specific yes, to the terroir of the your terroir. plant that you're going to have. Yeah. Well, before we get into all that, um, I, I, I'm really curious to know how you decided to found a distillery yourself. Yes, yeah. How, it wasn't, did, how it wasn't, did that yeah, happen? It wasn't a plan. No, the, yeah. plan, the plan was to buy. It was, I mean, I mean that was sounded, uh, yeah, a very ambitious. Um, <laughs> no, the plan was to buy Ricea and to, and to put a label on it. That was, that was the plan. So I was going to move from New York to there and, and that. And, um, and that's what, what, what I was intending to do. I was, I was traveling to San Sebastian where I had a friend that, that lived there and he was, he was trying to help me find producers that could, you know, could help in, in this project. Which and, we should say is a very mm. typical thing uh-huh. in the agave distillate world, period. Yes. You know, it's very, it's very common that, yeah. you know, brands will partner with um, producers. producers and palenques and multiple perhaps and yeah. they'll, they'll bottle and they'll label. And yeah. they'll do, then they'll bring it over. Some of these producers do also multiple brands. Exactly. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. So it's not that you're a single brand origin. Exactly. Yeah, that, that and that's very very common with with Rice because there's only a few large producers. But um, the thing that happened with us that was a little bit different is um, when I was spending time up there, the the sort of the stars aligned. Um, my my friend Ricardo uh, said, "Hey, you know what? There's this old this is this old Taverna." Um, you know, distillery that um, my friend Vincente was, he was making um, like a mezcal te- tequila well, using blue agave, but with the rice seer press, so he had the oven, the oven there, he had the stills there, but it hadn't been used for, for a year. Um, and he said, you know what? And I know um, my friend Lobo, who makes uh, Lobo de, de la Sierra, I think it could be in New York, but um, uh, he makes a great mezcal. He has all this agave that's, that's, ready to cut and he's too much he doesn't have enough capacity so he needs to get rid of it really you know really fast was this wild or it, farmed no it was cultivated so cultivated, he had this okay. he had this cultivated um agave that um that was like 14 years old so it was like at its point like if it didn't get used it was gonna die so it's cultivated but it was like you're talking about something that it has been 14 years yeah in the, in the like in the incline of it's a mountain semi-cultivated <laughs> yeah, yeah it's semi-cultivated because it was that they, they had like you know trees around it they had horses in there and it wasn't like it was a a tequila cultivated sort of in perfect rows and yeah no. on a flat piece of land but it had been planted it wasn't wild mm-hmm. uh, yeah um germinated wild do you know if it was from seed it's always from seed with maximiliano yeah it's one of the 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 kind of weird not weird things but uncommon things is that we it doesn't have the the e holes it doesn't Quilos, gr- yeah. yeah oh it doesn't have the willows no. oh neither no. on the Kyoto when when it comes up the Kyoto just has the flowers and then it has the seeds. So we get the seeds every year and we that, that's how we, we've been doing our planting. That's fantastic. Yeah. It's, it reminds me of the Seniso that Tess was talking about in Durango being oh, maybe the same. predominantly um, and if needs it, to be seeded. If it, it, the only time it does, it does sometimes if it gets um, a disease or it stresses out and the plant's going to die, uh-huh. then it, it, will, it, will, it will have, uh, uh, how do you say it? Ijuelos. Ijuelos, yeah. okay. Yeah. 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 Uh, Tess was mentioning something very similar. <clears throat> When is basically the 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 alert mechanism? Uh-huh. Like you pull it out if you're gonna transplant it and the plant is like you know a few years and you pull it out because you're gonna put it somewhere else, it freaks out and it should like start shooting hijuelos from under. But other than that, yeah, just normally and, yeah, and, and nursery. So um, so your friend was like, hey, check this place out. Yes. So he so he he essentially 
had found the 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 producer the, the producer the the cultivator of the agave. We had the raw material. We had the old distillery, and then it was like, okay, well, I've got no idea how to how to make this stuff. It's like, well, there's there's also this guy Juan who who was making um, tequila for his uncle, but also a very rustic sort of more mezcal style tequila, and his grandfather was Don Gelo, who um, was great uncle, sorry, Don Gelo, who um, he was one of the, the most recognized rice producers in the area. So he learned from his great uncle, he'd learned sort of more sort of modern approaches with, with tequila, with his tequila, with his uncle. So, and he wasn't working. So it was just this perfect sort of, you know, stars aligned. Do they have a name? Raceros. And what do you call the distillery? Is it a palenque or? Taverna. Taverna. Uh-huh, yeah. So you just decided to go for it? Like you gathered, you know, these people together and you were like, let's produce? Well, yeah. The, I mean, um, just a step back. So the original plan wasn't actually to make a um, uh, a ricea because I didn't think there was a a, a market for – it's it's a bit of a rough – like if you've, if you've tried a traditional first distillate ricea from the mountains – it's it's an it's an acquired taste. I mean, it's not it's not something that my a lot of my friends would like. I just I can't I can't get into this dude. Like this isn't this how, isn't how like high ABV. How would you describe it? It's not high ABV. It's more very funky, very fruity, very intense. Oh, yes. um, and uh, you could have a sip. You could have maybe a little trago, but to drink a whole bottle, it's a little bit too much. So the idea from coming from New York was, hey, I really think there's amazing characters in Ricea, very floral flavors. Maybe we could redistill it. And, and make a gin out of it. That was what actually I was thinking of doing. So that was the idea, the original concept before I actually got to Mexico. So I, I bought a, a, a like a gin still from here in the States and I, sh- I shipped it over. And the idea was to buy the Ricea from a producer, a single distillate, which is how it generally comes in the mountains, and then redistill it again or redistill it a third time with, with, with botanicals and maybe make a, a, a gin. Infusion. So, yeah, an infusion. So that was the idea. And then went, once we, we sort of couldn't find a producer that, that, that had the, the rice here, the flavor that we wanted, and we had all these little stars aligned, you know, with the place and the, the agave and the, and the worker. So let's just get the rice here. Uh, sorry, make the rice here and then we'll make the gin. So we'll do it all from scratch. That'll, that's perfect. Is, you have a plant that will not wait. Uh-huh, exactly. The plant, the plant is ready. The plant you is better ready. better be ready to do whatever is next. And it was super sweet. But you can you can actually just bottle. You can just rest it on, on, on glass. Uh-huh. And it, it doesn't matter. Like once it's done. When it's done, it can sit there. You have something there that you can let for years until you decided what it what could to happen. Do. Yeah. And, and, it, and it happened quicker than, than we thought that we, we distilled it. Uh, twice because I wanted to see because I've never uh, never had tried that point never tried a double distilled ricea and we double distilled it and we said this is really nice this is really balanced this is not what I expected the ricea to be like you know and this there could be a this could be a product just in itself so let's leave the the the, the gin when um, we made one batch and it was actually pretty nice so how much um, did you yield from that first run you still have gin Ooh. Um, I couldn't. I couldn't tell you. How what year was this? This was in 2014. Okay. Like at the end of 2014, I think we did. We did our first run. Um, and I've still got the. Bo- I've still got a bottle from that lot. Um, just to see, see what it tastes like, maybe in 10 years. Mm-hmm. That's so exciting. Um, <laughs> well, with that 2025, we're throwing a party. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, it's super. It's super interesting. Uh, this is the third time that something like this comes across. That you know, these old bottles. So there's all these 
talking about aging and resting, resting uh-huh. and like, but not much has been actually taste. Yes. Because this is something that is, as we speak, happening in a lot of uh, new brands having like the first runs in 2014, 15, uh-huh. 2010. I have a bottle from in situ from 2011 that it was a box that got lost in the bodega and they oh. found it and they sent it to us. Uh, but this, this bottle that you have, it will be super amazing to do like like real notes of all that too just, just yes. to see what's happening absolutely absolutely do you guys have any plans to like rest some of your product for a certain amount of time and then um we've you? we've naturally rested our product for a long time <laughs> oh, it's like a natural process <laughs> because we haven't been able to sell all of it um so it's been sitting in our you know in stainless steel tanks i think most of our rca has at least two or three years um that we've just been producing a lot and now we're kind of yeah and and i on the label do you have the year that it was bottled um, is that part of the, the year no or, okay. just the the lot so we our okay. lots are around 700 um, liters yeah so 11 times 700 liters that's kind of how much we've produced to date or how much we've bottled so um, an interesting number um we have been seeing a few bottles now that they have the date of harvest uh-huh of the plant the date of the distillation like is a few days after or like it's, it's in the same in this, year yeah and then they have the date of bottling that not necessarily corresponds, corresponds. To, to the harvesting and the distillation process and and that aging that you're saying that most of the times happen very natural uh-huh. <laughs> for lack of lack of demand or, not <laughs> or whatever it is uh but it's is not something that is being thought and and is actually modifying and and giving the the liquor uh and and uh, bottling aging process no, it's pretty amazing we could we could we could put it like there it's been aged for a year or whatever or, but yeah. It, it, yeah. Yeah, it's but, yeah, but you know it's something that i think is important to mention when when somebody's like if 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 you were to we were having a tasting and i see your bottle and the first thing that i'm gonna see is like oh this uh okay okay the numbers in and it says 2017 uh-huh right? Or 2018, because you just you you were just being able to send it here. Yes. And by law, I think there's there's some numbers that needs to equate to that. But this is a 2014 bottle. Yeah, in some way or form. Yes, in one shape or way or form. Yeah. But I mean, I should put the year on the bottle to be honest, yeah. so people know. A bit it's, more I, the the origin. Absolutely. When it was, it's, it's or, on, or just on the website, perhaps. Um, you know, yeah. like if they look up the lot, then they can see the year. A lot of people yeah, will do that too, idea. you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. The more, the more that we do this, the more we learn that time in, in glass does affect the evolution of the liquor that you're uh, having. Yeah. But also, you're dealing like this. You, ne- this, you were saying these were plants that they were 15 years. They were ready. Yeah. There's another batch coming. You, yeah, yeah. You reforest whatever you took out. So, but that is those plants will never be again. Exactly, and th- and so that, that taste th- is those fourteen years, and that's it. That's it, and that terroir, and that place, and that time. Also, we find um, just on the on the time what you're talking about time that the the ricea every year has a distinct flavor based on. Um, when we're cutting, so the sugars that are in the agave, so at the moment the sugars are quite low because the rain, the rainy season is just finished, so they're still drying out. Um, but when the sugars are low and the temperatures are low because it's, it's still cool, um, they get really nice, fruity, clean flavors. And then as the sugars 
get higher and higher and higher towards June um, before the rains come. Um, the, the, the flavors become more intense, a little bit more um, caramel. caramel, exactly. And so we try and separate. So we have tanks for different times of the year and we will put um, the ricey that we, that we collect during the, the I guess, the, the, the colder months and the, the lighter um, profile in a certain tank and then the, the caramel or the more intense sort of rice here that, we, that we're making towards the, 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 the really um, high sugar time of the year, um, which is at the end of the dry season. That's in a different tank and then we blend. Ah, okay. Um, and make our lots from that because it, there is too much of a distinctive profile in those two different months and also i think it comes down to the the plants that are around the distillery and the the natural yeast that's around during those those periods um that uh that add to that those distinct profiles and i want to get into that a lot more but i think it would be helpful just because i think some of our listeners this might be their first introduction to ricea Uh so why don't we just go through some of the basics like what differentiates ricea from other mezcal agave distillates Let's talk about the um, agave itself. Let's talk about a little bit about the process, thing, yeah. the region. You know, it's it's a, a little bit of a, a loaded question because um, ricea really is a mezcal. I mean, it 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 uses a number of different agaves and a, a number of different styles of of production processes depending on on where you are. So we are only in the Sierra, in the mountains, um, and we have a. Um, I would say a slightly more distinctive production method than, say, the ricea from the coast. The ricea on the coast, um, they use Filipino-style stills. They use um, tree trunks, um, uh, yeah, that, that have been hollowed out, and 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 that's really uh, has a distinctive component to it. And also, they use the pit ovens. So that could be more associated with a traditional ancestral style mezcal that 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 happens along um in different states uh, in mexico um and then there's also the rice here from the sierra we use the above ground oven um which is made from the the adobe bricks um the way that we i think i mentioned to you guys where we load the oven the way we heat the oven up um it is a little bit different so we we um we don't really uh, the, the agave isn't exposed to, to temperatures rising slowly like in tequila and mezcal. It, 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 it sort of, uh, they're, they're exposed to the, the hottest heat. So you bring oven to temperature yeah, and then you load. Well, as fast as possible, how, yeah. How, like, what's the capacity of your oven? Just uh, we've got three three now, but the ones we've been using for, for since we began is a three-ton oven, a three-ton oven. Okay. Um, and we've just, uh, we've got a five-ton and a, and a, another three-ton oven. So mm-hmm. it's like a massive pizza oven and it's sort of like mm-hmm. a dome shape. Um, so is it wood fired or? Yeah. Okay. So we use oak. Oak wood is the only wood that can get the oven. Um, and I think that's similar with, with, with most mezcals. They use Encino or Roble um, to heat heat the oven up. Uh, so we, we do that in the morning. We, we start the, the fire in the morning and, and, and then the late afternoon after sort of eight, nine hours, um, there'll be like a white sort of... Um, like an cu- ash? An ashy colour and on uh, that's, that's that's happening around the, the, the door of the, the oven and that's when we know that it's at its point. Um, and then we try and break the coals down into sort of a bed so that if there are any big chunks um, of wood still, we'll try and break them down and then load the oven and seal it with mud. So, so the piñas go directly on top of the coals? Or? Uh, yeah. Ah. yeah. yeah, And yeah. it's like a mad dash, you were saying, it's right? A mad like dash. you have to like do it so that the, you don't lose the temperature. Yeah, because as soon as we start loading the oven, um, it just starts to cool down 
um, the the coals and the you know everything gets covered and and the heat starts to get you know starts to leave. So you just want to seal it. So to, so it's only really the the bricks cook the agave. The it's not the fire itself. It's just the the, the heat. The, yeah, yeah, the residual the heat of the, that's yeah. in the. So the we. Our first oven was with this normal size um, bricks. I think what's that like, tw- uh, thirty centimeters or twenty eight centimeters? And the, the the new ovens that we've built, we've we've found the larger. I think Tiffany actually, mm-hmm. t- Tiffany came with us to um yeah. to get the bricks from um from where they make them on the side of the river. But you found that the larger bricks holds more the heat longer. Yeah, well, it's just that yeah that so over that time they can they 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 hold that heat and the, it can't escape as easily. It, it's awesome that you source material right from the area. Yeah, like well, that's 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 the that's the idea. If we can do it, we 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 try. We we just um uh, got some amphoras made, some clay amphoras, um, and the idea was to do it locally. But unfortunately, we had to go all the way to the Guadalajara, which is still in the state of Jalisco, but um, to get something. That was really fine, fine quality. Um, that wouldn't wouldn't be as porous as as most. Um, and explain to our listeners what an amphora. It's is. just like a massive, um, yeah, clay uh, or ceramic um, pot of some you know form um, that traditionally was used to make wine. Like so, I think Hungary um, in in Europe um, is known for their their amphoras. Um, and then, and also, you know, obviously the Romans would, but that, the, the thing which, which is interesting is about back, back in the day, because they didn't have the, I guess the, the artisan skills, um, they would line the, the inside of the amphoras with, with beeswax or, or pine resin. Um, and then that contact wouldn't really. To seal it so that the liquid it, so wouldn't, seep out. wouldn't seep out. Uh-huh. But then you don't get the, the clay touching the, 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 <laughs> defeats so the, whole the <laughs> so we were trying to, so we've been You're struggling some with very that. resiny flavors uh-huh. in there. <laughs> so That'd it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's interesting. So we've been trying to seal it from the outside. We've been trying to do different things and, and to be honest, we've been struggling, um, but we will get there. Still, it's still, <laughs> it's a process. It's a process. Yeah. Maybe we need to figure out a way to do it out of porcelain, buddy. <laughs> yeah, porcelain. That would be that would be probably better. Um, well, let's talk a little bit about the agave that you guys choose to work with. Um, what's it called? How, can you describe what it looks like a little bit? Like, um, it, and we'll have some. Also, you guys, we'll have some images on our website so that whatever we're talking about, if you want to see it, you know, we'll we'll put that up too. Um, we only work with one agave, which is uh, Maximiliana. That's the scientific name, and local name is Lechugia. Little lettuce um and um it is an in inacquiescence how do you say that one i think you nailed it (laughs) um it is i think um the species the species yeah so i think in that family there's also i think the tobola um so it's in that family um so it's a, a bigger leaf it's a wider leaf than the uh-huh. I think what what's the garbage you have over That's there? Tobala. Tobala. So it's similar to that yeah. in that in that form. Yeah. Um uh and it doesn't have as much sugar as um the the Espadin um blue agave um varieties. But the piñas are huge. That well they, they get they get, they get big. Chunky. But it the bigger the, the this is interesting. The bigger the pina, the less the sugar we've we've found. So we we've We've worked a lot with different producers, and a, a few of them have these big Maximiliano agaves. And we always find that we, if we don't harvest those at the end of the dry season, when they're at their absolute peak sugar, they don't really give us much alcohol. So the smaller ones always. And when you're saying smaller ones, what size are we talking? Just like for... forty kilograms, about the same okay. size as a blue agave. Okay. Yeah. Um, but the big ones come to like a hundred kilos. Um, are they at full 
bloom. Like it's this this where we're talking about the, the agave being ready. Yes, so they're they're just a small biarity. Yes, full bloom. Exactly, and this and this this is something that I've I had no idea about before I started. But so in the 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 Sierras where we work, we've we've um we've taken agave from like six different areas that span probably 400 kilometers. Um, and every area has its own style of Maximiliano, like own sort of sub, like it's still in the max, it's still a Maximiliano. It's still that, that agave, but they grow different sizes. They have a completely different flavor profile. And it's, so I, I didn't understand that. I thought, oh, well, if it's, you know, like if you get an Espadin, it's an Espadin, it's, it's a, or, or, a, you know, um, a blue agave, it's right. blue agave, but maybe that's. But that's, spe specifically, do you think it has something to do with the fact that they're, they're seeded, they're, they're, they're probably, grown from seed exactly. and then there's cross-pollination between yeah. the same species. I think that's what it is. And exactly. then you also have the area in which they're growing and, and the, the terroir of all that the elevation, yeah. the terroir, everything. Yeah. We were, we were looking at your website and, you know, doing a little research before we sit down with you guys. And it was, it was, it was a bit confusing because, you know, we have been doing this, this project and doing a lot of research of uh, plants and how they look and where they come from and all this, this stuff. And the name Lechuguilla also has another brother plant yes. somewhere. Exactly. Chihuahua. Chihuahua, Chihuahua yes. Chihuahua, looks yeah. nothing no, yeah. like a Tobalama that you have. Yeah, exactly. And that's why we, and I think on our first label, we put the agave as lechuguilla. Mm -hmm. And then we realized, hey, there's actually other local names. Which is something that comes up all the time when we're talking to people. The common names of these agave plants regionally, you know, um, they could be the same name in two different parts of the country Every or two different, different states and be completely different agaves. And so yeah. it's, it's and different flavor profiles. It's so, it's such an interesting challenge to try to understand it, you know, because you can look at a bottle and like we can say to people, well, this is a lechuguilla, but where's it from, you know? Yeah. And how do you know? Because if you, you know, you, it's almost like you can't necessarily just go for flavor profile by the type of agave. Yeah. Like it's not going to happen. Something that I would also like to know um, is, Tiffany, you are the brand ambassador. I'm not yes. sure if I said that in the beginning, but everybody, Tiffany is the brand ambassador for Estancia. <laughs> she has been quiet, but she's here. <laughs> How did you guys come to work together? Well, um, Instagram yes. is the the short answer. Um, yes, Rio harassed me <laughs> via social media. No, well, what happened was, is I was, um, like you guys, just really interested in agave spirits and... I started an Instagram. Um, I'm at the Mezcal Gal. If anyone out there wants to follow me, but I, um, so I was just posting um, things about you know Mezcal, about different brands, cocktails, just kind of anything around um, agave spirit culture here in New York. And I had read about Estancia online. I think maybe was it Forbes? I can't even remember. Yeah, someone I, did like a profile first, uh, on you, with Forbes, and yeah. I was like, "Oh, that's so cool!" You know, I tried on um, Venenosa, but I was like, "Oh, I got to try this this new Recia." So I ordered a bottle, which actually was a little bit tricky. It took a bit to get to me um, in those early days of what of year? Estancia. What year was this? This was twenty. Was it twenty fifteen or twenty? It was twenty. I think it was twenty fifteen. It, 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 it might have been twenty. 2016, but I think 2015. Were you the first bottle in the state? <laughs> <laughs> I might have been. Probably. No, I was. I was one of the first 30, probably. And wow. and yeah. So I 
I got the the bottle and I I posted about it and I I tagged Rio because I knew who he was through this article. And just was like, I, I love this. Thank you, Rio, for making this this great bottle of Ericea. And then I get a DM from him just saying, Hey, thank you. Um, I don't know if your work and the industry or are working with anyone, but if you'd like to, you know, maybe work with me, that would be cool. I'm looking for someone in New York. I was like, well, okay. And were, were you, you know, in the beverage industry already? No, I was not. I was not. And so I, I think we, we had a phone conversation uh-huh. where I was, you know, I, I knew people, I knew bar owners and, and bartenders and people in the industry, but I myself was not working in the industry. So I kind of took on Estancia as my first ever <laughs> brand. And way to jump a, right in. Right? Way to jump right in. And so it's, you know, it was a huge, of course, a huge learning curve. So yeah. many things I didn't know about the industry, about just everything, everything. I think both I think of everyone us, was in a, a big we were, learning curve. Yeah. The, novices. Yeah. yeah. I, I, everybody has a learning curve. It's yeah. just the natural process, yeah. you know? Um, so how would you introduce this to somebody that maybe is completely unfamiliar with Ricea? Yeah. Um, well, I guess the way that I, I actually just had a, um, a staff training the other day and I generally with Ricea, my go-to is of course, everyone knows tequila, right? Not everybody knows Moscow. So generally what I say is like everyone knows tequila, right? So this is basically a type of Moscow made in the tequila making regions. It's a, an agave spirit. Um, but it's sort of like more of a, a lesser known. And I try to sort of get into the, the mystery of it. And cause the Raycia has an interesting history, which I think Rio, you probably can, I'll, I'll let you take, take that one. Well, um, okay. <laughs> um, well, so the, the area where we produce is a old mining, um, area, um, San, um, San Sebastian de la Oeste, um, so from what I understand, and now I may be wrong with this history, but back in the day, Puerto Vallarta, which is now a very well-known town, was essentially just the port for all of the mineral, all the, the the metals that they would get out of the ground. So in San Sebastian, all the areas around there, we taken down and then sent to Spain. And so there was a lot of money up there, and there was a lot of workers mining the towns, and those workers couldn't afford the wine, whatever, and they would have all this wild agave around them. So that was kind of how this this distillation sort of started um, almost, you know, moonshiny sort of uh, cloud and, cloud and stein, um, pr- um type of... of Where there's I, a will, there's a way. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, then they, you know, they would set up next to the, to the rivers because there's lots of natural river water, water in yeah. there. And and um, like Dongelo, I think I was mentioning Dongelo, his first taverna was by the river and every year it would wash away with the rains, you know, so they would take all the stuff that they... But, but that meant that it had to be... Um, Recreated. Recreated, yeah. When you say wash away, it's like I have so many memories driving from Mexico City to Culiacán. You pass through that, you know, that kind of uh, almost jungle. Like it's, it's like a mix of jungle and forest. Uh-huh. In a matter of like maybe 10 or 20 feet difference up and down in the, in the car. And then I remember like when, when it rained, it was so scary to uh-huh. be on the road because with, with like no... Like there was nothing to tell you that something was gonna happen, and you just see it like mud, <laughs> like just washing out the like the top of the mountain. You're like, okay, do you that pull just... over? What do you no, do? you stop. You yeah, stop, yeah. and then the, the mud see. is so hard that it just basically wash away. Like it just, and then there's a little mud on the on the road, but 
you can still go on it. It's it's pretty amazing. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. We we there was a massive mudslide that washed away uh, ten kilometers of 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 the of the highway where we're on a couple of years ago, and they're still rebuilding it. I mean, it was really. I think one person died. So yeah, yeah when it rains, it rains. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so this being sort of the the origin of Raisia being kind of bootleg moonshine. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, so um, that's kind of how it got its it's it's not it was known ricea was this sort of this word that the locals would use rather than mezcal or whatever because they didn't want to tax so it was this sort of secret name that would everyone would know in the town for this spirit that the guys would make um you know in the in these hidden areas um and i think that that sort of moonshine perception has carried through in in good ways and bad ways i think some people think that it's a it's a lesser quality than than other spirits um, um, because of its it's moonshine. It's not really no, no one really knows what they're doing. It's but like locally, that's how they view it. Or are you talking yeah, like like I think more broadly? Yeah, like a lot of um, people that I've spoken to about rice here, be oh that's that that's that rocket fuel. You know that's <laughs> that that's that nasty um, sort of intense spirit that you know you don't want to drink too much because you can go crazy or you can do this. All these sort of these, these, yeah, these all of myths. those misconceptions that you hear often when talking about these artisanally made agave distillates. Uh-huh. You also have a distillate that you mentioned it early today when we're talking. Like it is strong. Yeah. Until you double distillate. Exactly. So you yeah. You figure out a way to make a less refined liquid into a like we're tasting it right now and it's absolutely delicious. It's delicious. Yeah. It's delicious. It like, just needs a have, little. We bit. have been trying all kinds of really, really amazing. Uh, expressions and this is no shorter from one of the tops that we have had oh that's very good to hear and it's really interesting too because um it's 40 percent this is 45 isn't it oh 45 yeah does it, it say does well, that it the bottle says 40 uh, that was my my bad this is an old sample bottle but uh, this this is actually 45 i i have uh, a, a separate bottle okay i sometimes forget because they're the same size sometimes i bring so when I we, keep meaning to change it, it with like a Sharpie because it's just my sample bottle, but it is 45. Okay, so it yeah, is 45. So the originals were 40%. Exactly. I was going to so say, so we launched, it, yeah. we launched with 40% um, and in Mexico, we've just launched 45, but we predominantly sell 40, 40% Mexico. Mm-hmm. Um but I mean, I think the forty-five percent has a lot more character. I was uh, my my first thing was going to be like, oh my god, this is forty. I've never tasted anything mm-hmm. this uh-huh. delicious. It's, it's quite. It's really. It's interesting because if you try the forty percent, the original, I still have some some bottles of it at, at my house, which I'll have you guys try. It is really interesting to taste the difference. I would love to. Sometimes. It is significant, mm-hmm. and yeah. um, I think the forty was excellent. I'm not. You know, it's a great product too. But the forty-five really brings out some some more interesting flavors yeah. and think overall rounds it out and i think i think it's interesting because if somebody comes to this with maybe some sort of misconception or an Mm -hmm. idea all they have to do is try it yeah you know so i guess everybody out there we're just encouraging you to to try try all of these different things and i have um (laughs) and i i always say with the racia you know i have some friends that really don't like mezcal i think we all have those those weird friends i don't know they're strange (laughs) and i don't understand yes i don't understand them but yeah exactly (laughs) but but um, my friends, I found that really have told me, like, I do not like mezcal. I am not interested in trying any more mezcal. Um, 
I've given them the Racia to try. And especially my friends that are really kind of like wine heads are really into wine. They love it. And right. I, I think it's it's particular to the Lechuguia or the Maximiliana Agave. Yeah. Um, I think those sort of fruity notes really come out in this. And I think people in general, if your palate tends to skew a little bit sweeter, um, yeah. I think that those are the people that really like this product Um more, you know, or, or are more willing to try it versus some mezcals, which can be a little bit, you know, stronger and have those earthier flavors. We were talking today uh, before you guys came in. I know, like, I'm very, very curious about the oven because the fact that you have to run and load it before mm -hmm. the temperature comes down, but also it's above ground. Yeah. Is not covered with other things and mud and grass and all the other stuff that they use. Yeah is not something that the wood is still like it is under but it doesn't it doesn't well it the doesn't smoke quite the same way that you have like a conic oven so therefore yeah. the profile of mm -hmm. the flavor profile that the wood and the 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 fume smoke the smoke that yeah. happens you're baking it yeah well, it's, it's, it's the a, other one is getting back too but i think this is, yeah it's you almost can taste it. it's, a, it's a different cook it's a different cook yeah yeah i think i would put i would say if you if you're if you're someone who cooks a lot you could say okay well mezcal could be similar to how you cook a brisket you know you'd, you'd sort of smoke it out you know you cook it over a long period of time and it, and it or, or a, a a piece of meat like like you know the the southern cooking um tequila would be a lot of the time like a steaming process where you're cooking with the <laughs> with the with the With, you're really just cooking with with the with the vapor, um, like you would steam vegetables or steam. Um, so you, that 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 process really highlights just the raw material. So it's very green um, with tequila. I think that that it doesn't really the cooking process doesn't add anything a lot of the flavor. It just you really just um, might even take. Take might away. take away a bit of the flavor, I think. Yeah. Um, whereas what we do is a little bit in between the two of them because it does. We don't have the smoky notes that. Well, we still have smoky notes, but it's very, it's faint. It's very faint because of the cooking process, um, and we don't, ha we don't have that smoke in the oven. The oven is not smoky at all when we load it. I'm just gonna jump really fast. I heard often, if not every time, somebody's, oh, what are you drinking? Oh, that smoky flavor. Like, mm -hmm. well, maybe. Maybe this is it for some people that if you think that they're, they're, the smoky, strong smoky mm -hmm. flavors of some mezcal, not all of them, uh -huh. but some of them, this might be an alternative for somebody that's still trying to, to, to engage into the agave spirit yes. mm -hmm. without that heavy profile. And maybe once your palate adapts to this thing, you go this, to the next step. Be, yeah. This might be a really nice introduction. Entr exactly. Yeah. I've, Or a I've, gateway drug. A gateway drug, yeah. <laughs> this is the weed of agave. <laughs> and talk, talk to me just a little a bit about the mash. Like, how do you guys do that and the fermentation? How long does it take? I mean, I'm assuming this is like a spontaneous fermentation. Mm -hmm. Yes. Just like um, the, so the, we have um, we we've used two different ways of of, of grinding the agave. We, we have a a um, a machine that we bought from Tequila, which um, it's like an axle that has teeth on the axle, and it and it, and it just uh, grinds the agave. Um, and then we also have a chipper, like mm -hmm. a uh, we you know you, you you do for chipping wood, whatever, um, and that. That also just essentially do you use both it. independently, or do you kind of like depending on like because we, we've the got batch. two distilleries now, okay. we're using one, but they essentially do the same thing. Yeah. The the machine that we bought from Tequila has the ability to um, 
add so it has water so you could open the water and and add water as you as you're grinding but we don't use that do you typically add water to the mash we add a little bit of water mm -hmm. of just for the minerals and for the mm -hmm. stuff but not really because it uh the i think as i mentioned before that the sugars in the agave aren't as high as um Right. An espadine or, or a blue agave, so you can't add too much water because you you won't really have it. It needs to work. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you wash yeah. away the, the yeah. yeah. It needs to procreate. Um, um, and then, so and with the ferment, we, we it is spontaneous, but we do um, we collect a little bit of the the ferment from the previous batches. Ah, okay. And just to have a starter for uh -huh. the second batch, so it changes because it's open. It does change over the course uh -huh. of of you know of months, but it's a gradual change, and it's. It, it is useful. We f found that it's useful to do that. Um, so you, your batch to batch isn't Wild, really different. different. Yeah. yeah. You have a continuous, yeah. but you're still not controlling what's going in there. You know, you still have the, the fruit flies around and all those sorts of things that are helping to, you know, take the, the flavors from the, the, so around our property, there's coffee and there's plums mangoes and so that's, avocados. that's exactly it's all going it's all going that. in there yeah, and all of that the, yeast that's growing on yeah. those fruits so yeah remember the one in. that we had on cosme last time oh. that he had this like mango profile of course yeah, ah. yeah, yeah. i'm finding notes like that there's mm -hmm. lots of mangoes yeah, yeah and there's yeah. beautiful yeah. lemon trees yeah. lemon like trees, just just trying but the thing is the fascinating part of all this like as soon as you start talking about the topography and what it's around they're all connected. Yes. Which, yes. which I encourage everybody, and obviously we'll, we'll, we put maps up on the website just so you can f familiarize yourself with the region, but take a look on the map of where these areas are located. You know, and Google Maps is great. You can get close and you can see, like, are they mountains? Are they valleys? Is it more mm -hmm. subtropical? Because um, all of that kind of goes into into the flavor profile of it. But anyway, back to the process. So your tinas are, uh, are they oak? Are they wood? Are they they're, metal? They're actually old. Um, Jack, I think all of them are Jack Daniels bourbon barrels. Okay. So they were used for tequila in tequila for for aging. A lot of tequila, I think most tequilas are aged in bourbon barrels, and then when, once they've used them, there's not much else they do. So we 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 buy them sort of third hand, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, and we've just got ourselves two larger tinas um, that are American oak as well, but they are not charred. They're they're fresh. They're fresh oak. Um, and we're interested to see how that they're, they're see two, what happens with that. Two, two thousand, I think they're thousand liter each. So yeah. we'll see how that goes. Yeah, that's really interesting. The, also, the charcoal, like the we we recharred our barrels because we found that that after um, a year of fermenting in them, the the the, the actual charcoal, the charcoal that's that goes yeah. and the charcoal uses like is a you filter. need to recondition them. Yeah, and they yeah. and they filter and they take out yes. a lot of those bad properties. Yeah. Um, and you know, I think that the, the the so the new the new barrel the new tinas that we have that aren't sharp may may not work as well. So yeah. we'll see. Yeah. We might just have to yeah. light them on fire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and how long about does the fermentation process uh, take for this specific kind of agave where you guys are? Um, at the moment, it's uh, eight days or nine days. Oh, so okay. it's it's and, it's and that that that's that's to do with really two things: the amount of sugar in the agave. Uh, actually, three things: the amount of sugar in the agave, the size of the ferment vessel, because um, ours are quite small, so they're going to ferment faster than you would in a large, mm -hmm. um, and the time of year and the temperature. Mm -hmm. the, so at the moment, it's quite cool. So, but towards the end of June, July, when it starts to warm up a lot more, um, the fer the ferment cycle shortens to about five five days, 
Um, and that, and that, I know that differs a lot from some, a lot of mescals are like 16 days. Mm-hmm. I know the guys in the, on the coast, um, mm-hmm. I was just chatting with, um, the producer of Las Perlas. I took, I've actually got on Monday that I met up with the producer and he's got some special batches that he gave me, uh, uh pure Chico Aguera, um, batch mm-hmm. that they did, but we were talking, sorry, about, um, ferment cycles and, and they do 16 days. So it's a very different um, ferment cycle for them because of the... Yeah, we've heard of up to 30 days and uh-huh, people yeah. that, um, get funky. So the fermentation takes uh, about eight days, you were saying? And and then um, obviously from there we go to distillation. You guys use copper? We use copper, well, stainless and copper stills um, and they're very rustic, I guess. Um, there's not a huge amount of vertical lift in the traditional pot stills. It's essentially just a, a big pot, just a pot that has a, a, a tube, a copper tube and, and condenser coming off the side of it. So there's no, um, there's no vertical lift. So the, the amount of separation that, that we that we can control mm-hmm. is limited mm-hmm. um, because a lot of those heavy, heavy particles can get in. So it's, you have to distill very slowly, particularly the second time, um, in order to control the, the cuts yeah. properly. Do you control that with the heat? Yes, with the, with the wood, they would fire. So we, we control the, the stills with, um, you know, taking the, the coals out or putting, putting more in. Um, but it, 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 it is, it is difficult. Uh, I think, um, yeah, it's, it's certainly something that I would like to have more control over. So we, we have just bought two new stills from, um, that, that are more traditionally Oaxacan based. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're all copper and they have uh, um, the, yeah, the, the circle hat, I guess. And mm-hmm. then, and right. then the, so they're very traditional um, mezcal stills. Yeah. And the idea um, is to, to do our second distillation of some of our product mm-hmm. in there for, um, we, we're, we're starting to work with other brands. Mm-hmm. So we've got two other producers that we're working with mm-hmm. uh, sorry producers brands, brands that we're right. working You'll with producing. we're producing it for them yeah. and so we, we might just use that particular method for another yeah. brand to change is the that profile for more so change the profile and does efficiency have anything to do with it or is it just no, flavor profile it's to just more control okay yeah cool more control yeah you don't do anything on clay pots no, but um, that, that that changes the profile. I'm very interested to to, yeah. to experiment with clay. Like I said, we we're fermenting in clay. Um, one of the, the the guys that we're working with want all of their rice are fermented in clay, and they've mentioned that they they want to experiment with potentially distilling in clay to have the whole because you've you've also got your clay yep. oven, yep. so you're doing your whole clay experience from start to finish. Okay, um, you, Gabs, you're not going to talk right now. He's raising his hand. <laughs> yes, please try that and let him know when it's done. <laughs> I will go and help loading the whatever you need to load. Great, I'm great. In. I'm in. Um, so, so this is all influencing and creating this beautiful flavor profile that we're tasting right now. Um, how many expressions do you guys, um, produce for Estancia at the moment? Just one. Just one. Just the one expression. Yeah. Uh, we, we're with these new, the new still that I mentioned, we've got, um, has like a little basket at the top of it that we got made. We haven't, we haven't installed it yet, but the idea with that is to experiment with the pachuga. So a pachuga, huh? Yes. And what what are you guys going to use? Um, was it going to be like the typical chicken or? Well, it's to, that's the, the 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 meat or the the the, the breast um, is the the contention point. We don't know. There's not. It's not a, a very common um, meat, but turkey, um, which is traditionally used, I guess, in Oaxaca. Um, but there is a wild a wild turkey that 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 is naturally on the coast. 
Um, and I've been just asking a few of the garden, my gardener and stuff, because he's, 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 you know, he's eaten all of the, the, the the wild game, the wild game, the iguana, the, and and so the iguana is something that could potentially be, because it's also a a local, uh, it's a white meat. Um, and then to, to accompany that, um, we'll, there's a lot of delicious, beautiful, um, botanicals, uh, fruits that grow in the area. So we have, um, coffee, um, the, there's this thing called manzanito, which is little, oh, manzanito, yeah. there's little green balls, yeah. um, that you make a, our fresca out of. Um, there's all these beautiful her and would probably do seasonal. So a pachuga that we make in one, mm-hmm. in one month might be a little bit different from the tree we make in another month, just depending on what's available. But we want to get a, a, a stable meat <laughs> that's so not going to change. when do you think we should start looking out for that? For oh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. All the if I remember questions. well, there's a lot of iguanas. There's a lot of iguanas. There's a lot, there's a lot, lot of iguanas. Lot of can, can, I, can I share a story about that? Please. Yeah. Okay. So when I was first um, getting interested in mezcal, I went on a trip with Mezonte, which is a wonderful place in Guadalajara. Um, if no one's been there to Pare de Sufrir or they, oh. or to Mezonte, the tasting room, they, they do an annual, maybe biannual trip of, um, to go to Mezcal distilleries throughout Jalisco, which is really interesting, right? Because it's tequila country or a country. You don't always think about Mezcal. And I was with them, um, I think it was day two of the tour. And we went to, I cannot remember the name of this Mezcal uh, distillery we're going to. And um, I was walking along and it was just so funny because there's just this, you, you know how sometimes this happens in Mexico, you're just walking and suddenly there's a cliff, no warning, <laughs> no guardrail, no nothing, you know, just, just cliff, just drop. Oh, yeah. So I'm walking, I'm like, oh, well, thank goodness I noticed the cliff. And I look down and I see these little kids just kind of running along and the side of the cliff or like yeah down so on they're the... down they're down at the bottom uh-huh. yeah <laughs> <laughs> gabrielle just said like goats hopping around <laughs> yeah, yeah kind of they were just you know running up starting to run up the cliff and i i looked down there's two of them they're probably if i were guessing maybe one was six one was eight these little little kids and and one of them just grabs there are all these iguanas one just grabs an iguana by the tail and just carries it off what? and one of the guys in the on the tour is like and these hey you're tiny right no this is a big iguana it was probably about half it's called snack <laughs> <laughs> and the kids were just literally i think they were getting yeah they were getting dinner what? or maybe to make a pachuga um yeah. you know for one yeah. of the, the yeah. mezcal but um it's really it just was such, such a normal thing and that was really my first time i'd, I'd encountered that and i was like oh that is that was cool to you want to meet this delicious i'm not joking. i've heard yeah, that no, i've heard I'm that, joking. I've heard that. i grew up uh, going to very strange places uh, <laughs> and iwana squirrels dough yeah crocodile you name it yeah. i ate it and iwana is probably one of my favorites how, would, how would you describe the they meat? will do they will do michotes out of iwana so Oof, it's like a, yeah. a very interesting white fish poultry Ooh. no game like it, it doesn't have yeah. that kind of weird uh, deer. Uh, yes. Yeah. This is, is a clean meat that is really, really nice. Yeah. And it could be That's a good option. Good option. <laughs> could be a good option. So I, I, I kind of want to shift uh, subjects just a tiny bit because um, I, well, we were talking a little bit uh, earlier and it seems that there's a shift going on within the um, structure for denomination of origin for Ricea specifically. And about a month ago, it, it just got approved. It did. Right? Yeah. So, yep. so, I mean, we don't have to go too into detail about it, but um, could you talk a little bit about where you find yourself being a producer that has 
you know, been active for four years, five years now. And um, this is coming up. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, it's, it's exciting. I think everyone um, has, uh, you know, been asking about this, this question of denomination of origin for, for years now. Um, when, when are we going to have it? You know, what is it going to look like? And so now we're starting to see. Um, all of those questions being answered and, um, you know, there's, I think there's certainly, uh, excitement and a little bit of concern about what, what that means, um, and, and, and how we could maybe make some decisions, um, from looking at mezcal and tequila and, 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 you know, maybe some of the errors that they made when, when they were going through this process years ago, um, and, and make a better version of, of the denomination of origin that, that really serves everyone and not just large producers. Um, and so that's the challenge that we're going through at the present. And, and in a, in a couple of weeks, we're having a forum, um, that producers and, and anyone that's really interested in the category can come and talk about what, what they think it should look like, how, how they think we should um, really build a, a strong um, denomination of origin um, that's not just a, a protectionist strategy um, for the category and, and, and is more so something that can really um, help uh, us, um, you know, expand the category across into, into international markets and, and also nationally in Mexico. Yeah, and I think I think if we we look at examples um, and try and learn from the the positives and the negatives, um, and you know hopefully get the people in 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 power in charge of things to see that the the ways that we can do things correctly with Rysia. There are some people within the Rysia community that would like to have a subcategory for a sort of industrialized version of it. And that's something that personally scares me. I think that, that would be a, uh, not such a great uh, outcome for, for ICEA. Um, so I think it's important from a consumer's perspective or people from, from in this side of to, to make their voices heard. And, 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 and maybe if there's a, if there's a way to, to support um, ensuring that, that, that this is a way to, encapsulate what rice is in its essence in its traditional essence and not change it to to commercialize it to a scale that doesn't yeah. really it loses its its essence its, it's essence. About, and, yeah. and something that's you know being a small brand right in a really saturated market is a difficult place to find yourself period no matter yeah. no matter what the product is but being like a very bespoke specific agave distillate and a small brand and, <laughs> and to have exposure and to have people really just know who you are. I mean, you know, we're small brand owners over here. Like yeah. we get it. Talk about that. Like, yeah. cause this is all part of that conversation. Like, you know, there's this big umbrella of like the big names, the big brands that mm -hmm. we see over here at least, you know, so how do you find a way to sort of carve out your path to get the distribution yeah. to have people see you? Yeah, it's, it's certainly not a question that I can answer <laughs> with with a lot of confidence. But I think it's a slow process, and I think it, it's all about um, for us. We have we have looked at Rysia as a category and tried to promote the category. And within the category, obviously, we we fall under you know Estancia Venenosa. So you know that's been a way for us to get PR, free PR, because no one. There's a, there's a lot of interest in agave category. Uh, no one knows what rice is, and so we've 
we've been able to get a little bit of traction just as a brand, just by talking about what Ricea is, how it's different, mm-hmm. the you know the flavor profile, and that's helped us a lot. And I think if we were in a another category, say you know rum or or, or, or even mezcal up to these days, it would have been a lot harder for us to get that sort of um, you know. I think we've been in tw- twenty articles, but just because it's mostly so around the Ricea, specis- the specificity of where you guys fall under is work to your benefit. It has in some ways, yeah. And yeah. I think, I mean, in in a in a in a PR perspective, in a sort of like a you know uh, getting out the word out, um, but then it comes down to really the the details of of getting it into bars and or getting it into people's mouths and that's been what's your distribution look like now where are your markets we are in new york obviously with uh with skernick um we've launched in chicago in illinois last year um in new orleans um in we're in california but with a very small um distributor um and in georgia and Col- not yeah colorado so. mm. what about in mexico and obviously, in, oh no! Well, this is just in the states, but in the, in the in the world, we're in Mexico, Denmark, the UK, Spain, um, uh, and Australia at the moment. Fantastic! And so, part of this conversation, because um, you know, like your brand ambassadors are working with you, obviously, mm-hmm. Tiff, to like you know just get the word out there to introduce people, to educate people. Yeah. And part of that education is how you choose to represent yourself in your branding and your marketing. Mm-hmm. And I know that. Rio, you have a background in that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'm really interested to hear you talk a little bit about like the choices that you make. Like, I don't know, maybe a little bit about your philosophy about how how you've kind of like unrolled, like um, you know, uh, unveiled yourself to to the public, like via social media. Yeah. Maybe we can talk about or like, you know, just what the information that you choose to put out there and how you choose to put it out there. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I think it's strange because of my experience with advertising and marketing has always has made me almost like an anti marketer avatar i don't i don't like self-promotion that much and i feel like estancia what what i like about estancia is it's this discovery brand it's discovery spirit it's this sort of spirit that you know you people oh i've just tried this amazing new thing and they don't really understand it and 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 there's 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 information out there to discover but it's i don't necessarily like to be posting pictures every day about what we're doing, how we're doing it, blah, 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 and getting into people's faces. Um, because I feel like there's so much exposure to so much that if you have something to say that's worthwhile, to, that's really like mm-hmm. cool that you're doing, definitely post it. Mm-hmm. But if it's just because you want to We definitely run into these things where it's like there's just so much of content like that, uh-huh, you know, it's hard. almost like you're trying a little too, too, hard. too hard. Yeah. 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 And yeah. that, that's something to that get down I, a notch. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I never hashtag. I, mm. I just, I just feel like just if you discover us, if it's in a bar or if it's in a, if it's through a friend or whatever, and that's mm. what I think is really cool. And that's what I like about, I like to discover brands. I love to discover products that, Oh my God, you know, my mm. friend had this and that, and it's like word of mouth almost, but mm. you know, maybe on a social level now that's, you know, it's all through online, but um, yeah, and I find that's that's super interesting, and that's also you know very cost effective. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, but I think Estancia too has been like 
you know, like I found out about it through a magazine article uh-huh. and it does, you know, those little exposures do help, you they know, help, people yeah. do. Well, these sorts of things that yeah. we're doing now. Oh, know? absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And then also, um, you know, as, as your reach grows further and further and you mm-hmm. partner with more distributors and right. ambassadors, I think that's a very organic way for it to just yeah. show up where you're, where you're out and about, or, you know, you're at a liquor store yeah. and, you know, you can, you can try some different things out. And yeah. do, are, do you guys, would you guys say that that the agave community or the mezcal community mm-hmm. is more uh, more of a community than would than other? Let, let's say if we if we did rum or if we if we chose <laughs> yeah. whiskey or you know what? Just speaking personally, I I'm not in the beverage community. I read a lot. I listen to a lot of stuff, so I can't. I don't want to talk about anything else. But I can tell you that the mezcal community, specifically in New York City, yeah. is tight. super tight. Super tight. We all know each other. Very inclusive, though. Uh-huh. Like if you're somebody that new to the to the you know to to the world of mezcal and agave distillates, like you're welcome with open arms. Yeah. Um. I've I I feel like there's very low level snobbery. Yeah. Um. At least with the people that we've been around, mm-hmm. and you know we've been around quite a bit and so have you Tiff. So I have to say it's a really beautiful community to get involved in. I think we're all kind of, uh, I think that people in general here, especially that tend to be attracted to agave spirits, what I've noticed is we're kind of immediately kindred spirits. Like we get each other, you know? And so I think there is, there is a community. And what's great about that is that, you know, when you have, um, you know, a product and people here are very receptive to it. And that's where that word of mouth comes out. And, you know, the people who who are the bartenders, who are the sort of um, leaders in the community, once they take you on, it's, yeah. you know, they're, they're there to help out, educate people, get people excited about the product. And so, you know, t- going back to being a small brand, sometimes that's, that's, those are the people that really help, that really help um, give you some, some reach. So it's, yeah. As yourself? Most of the people that I know here, they're expats from some other country, Mm -hmm. Uh from some other life, from some other background, and all of them landed in this magical land of mezcal and agave. (laughs) No, it is it is very very interesting because you know you have you have a uh, you have a brand ambassador that was an ex-military. You have Uh. a brand ambassador that you know performs sound healing. Uh, no, it's, I think it's I really, know who we're really talking amazing. about. No, I'm not saying names. I'm just going to go through the list. But the, the idea is that they all connected in some way or form, directly or indirectly, to Mexico. Uh, of course. Not, not to the... To like, Mexico. Yes, to the agave, right. uh-huh. but to the culture that is behind mm-hmm. the mysticism and all these amazing things that we have been talking over and over. And it's, um, But it's, it's that, that's the community in New York. Mezcal is is so wildly wide. Yeah, it's wide, but because it's still relatively niche. Yeah, you know, for for now, I think it's every year it's just getting bigger and bigger, and you know the events are getting bigger and bigger, and more bars mm. are hosting events and etc. But um, what, what, one, just before we move on, one yeah. thing um, that I think we're look actually, I was having a conversation with um, the producer of Las Perlas, who's also in in New York. One thing that he is looking to do, and what what we would would like to help him with. Um, is to do an experience for ICEA. And there's a lot of experiences that 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 that, that exist for mezcal in different states. I know that um, Michoacan just started the, the Ruta de Mezcal. And so mm-hmm. there's there's other states. And, and the idea would be to um, 
to bring, um, particularly, you know, people that are involved in the community, be it bartenders mm-hmm. or, or, or just fans, mm-hmm. um, down to, to Jalisco and to the coast and to the Sierra to, to experience um, what Ricea is and, and just its diversity because that's something like one of your first question was, you know, why is, what is, why is it different? And it really, it is different, um, but it is just like a mezcal in, in that it's, you know, all mezcals are different, you know, every state yeah. in, in, in. So, uh, where can people kind of keep up to date on the evolution of that? Because I know for one, I'm interested, yeah. but I'm sure that a lot of other people mm-hmm. listening, you know, their radars are going up and they're like, well, I want to go. <laughs> well, so yeah. the, the Look next step, I, see yeah, <laughs> I think the next step would, so, um, Jorge, who is, who is one of the producer of Las Perlas, they're, they're in discussions with, um, the tourism authority mm-hmm. or the tourism. I think it's the, the head of tourism for in Jalisco. And the idea is to do something with the government um, mm-hmm. and, and to sponsored. actually... Yeah, sponsored mm-hmm. in some way um, and that, that there is um, some sort of uh, infrastructure, you know, be it like a, a, a car or a van mm-hmm. to bring people around and accommodation, all that sort of stuff. Um, and so when that's when when that happens, hopefully it's not too long, um, I'm sure we can put it on our website and our and social we'll, media. And as soon as we find out about it too, we'll yeah. absolutely promote that. Particularly where we are in, 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 in Jalisco, um, a lot of it, I mean, there, there isn't much employment up there. So if we can create a, just a little bit of a, of a industry in, in Ricea um, and, and hopefully bring a lot of the, the young guys back from the States because all of, I mean, every, every, every family um, in La Estancia at least has the, one of their family members or, or, you know, a couple of them working here, this side of the border um, because there's no work. Um, the young generation uh, exactly the and young the problem generation also with that is that they're losing the the passing of the information mm-hmm. of uh-huh exactly and the bottling that you do um for estancia is that done in mexico as well yeah everything we uh-huh. do um we do our production in la estancia and uh-huh. we do our bottling in sayulita uh-huh. where 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 i where i'm based yeah. um we have a bottling um like a bodega or whatever. We um, haven't talked about that so much on this podcast, but I think it's important to point out that like, you know, this is like from, from point A to, to point mm-hmm. Z, Yeah, <laughs> right. It's a whole process. And, you know, being a producer and choosing to do everything in house yeah. and local, you're supporting we, that community. The pro- I mean, the problem for us, we, we wanted to do everything in La Estancia, but um, as I mentioned, there just isn't the workforce there. There isn't the the people that mm-hmm. that that are available. If if you're if you're an available someone that doesn't have a piece of land, um, that doesn't have their their crop or their animals to look after, you generally leave. You generally go somewhere yeah. else. And, and, that, and that land is completely abandoned. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so, because all of this is involved in the production, the bottling, and the distribution of of these distillates, you know, I think it's really important to be mindful of the fact that on our side, we can buy these expressions that we know enough about and we can share them with our friends and we can advocate for them. And, um, you know, that way we're sort of coming full circle in all of this. Absolutely. Um, And it's it's a wonderful thing. So I just want to thank you both for coming today. It has been a wonderful experience. Salud. Salud. Hey Hey Agave is a production of Tuyo NYC. Brittany Prater is our editor. Your hosts are Gabrielle Velasquez-Zazueta and me, Sabrina Lassard. Our music is by Milagro Verde. Find them on Instagram at Milagro underscore Verde BK. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Salucita.